All right. The third talk in the Good Wife Seminar is called Heat, and it's about loving your husband. And if that doesn't make sense to you why heat means loving your husband, um, we, we need to go back to some basics. <laughs> but, so, marrying is maintaining the attempt to join. And by that, I mean, I mean what, what the Bible talks about. Uh, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Join. Um, that marrying is when sex happens because you are becoming one because your bodies are literally joined together um, during the act of sex. And the reason is, is mysterious. Um, and my husband and I have done a lot of thinking, talking, teaching on this. Mostly, mostly he's done it. But he came up with the idea of the mojo, which is the man's um, thing with marriage. Why a man wants to have sex is because he wants to be joined. He wants to take back that which he lost in the creation when Adam was put to sleep by God and God took a rib out of him, sewed it back up, and made Eve out of his rib. It's that in losing that rib, <coughs> excuse me, in losing that rib and having that be designed into Eve, Adam wanted to get Eve back and having sex, joining that way is the closest thing that Adam could get to having Eve back and that that is carried on in men and that huge sexual appetite that men have in general and there are a few men who don't have a huge sexual appetite but in general they do um, is that desire to join now they might think that it's the pleasure that they get from it but um, in at the bottom of it all it's not it's not just the pleasure that's sort of the consolation that you can't join forever that in the act of sex you are um, joining and holding and embracing and and you're mixing your bodily fluids in your mouth and, and all that it's this it's this whole <coughs> attempt to blend but you can't stay like that you can't get anything done if you're like that right and it'd be embarrassing if you know trying to get stuff done while they're doing that so in order for that to come to an end so that you can accomplish the rest of life there's the orgasm and that is a tremendous pleasure that leaves you able to go, okay, let's, we can do other things now. <laughs> Until then he comes up, comes up again. And that it's, so it's the continual marrying. And for men, the orgasm is pretty obvious. You know, they're, they're probably going to have it because, I don't know, God favored them in that. It's, it's easy. Whereas for women, it's not always um, obvious they don't even necessarily know what it what it is how to get there um, and my talk today is not trying to teach you how to, how to have an orgasm um, I'm assuming that a lot of you have but I don't assume that everyone has um, but if if you know or suspect you haven't then that's something that's well worth pursuing um, with getting help somewhere somehow um, and if you're a very newlywed, I wouldn't worry too much about it. Sometimes it just takes some time to, to get to that point. But 
pleasure is what can draw you back to that. Um, but for him, it's it's wanting to rejoin with you. For you, for the for the woman, it's um, being taken care of uh, and having someone dominating over you. And I know that that is so not PC to to voice it that way, but I believe that that is how the Lord made us and that the design is is so wonderful when it works out and you you accept that part of you um, that element that aspect of you so in that is also that um, marrying is the image of Christ in the church and we're going to read Ephesians 5 31 through 33 for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh this that and that's quoted from Genesis this mystery is a profound one, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. How did Paul know that? I mean, that is, that's amazing, I think. But, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Um, when you think of the image that sex is of Christ and the church, um, it's... It's a beautiful, wonderful thing, and to realize that the church doesn't tell Christ what to do. The church submits to Christ, or ought to. If, if they're not, then they're, they're um, in sin, if the, if the church is not submitting to Christ. Uh, so that, given that that's the image that God has for marriage, has made marriage to be, it should be big in your mind, in your heart, that you need to be submissive to your husband. Um, reverencing and being chaste, um, that is back in the uh, Titus, Titus passage, um, where, uh, let's go back and read that. Te the younger, or excuse me, the older women are to teach what is good, train the young women to love their husbands, be sensible, chaste, domestic. So, oh, I guess reverencing wasn't in there. Oh, wait a minute, there it is. It's in the verse afterwards. I am I'm a little goof off here. The reverencing and chaste is in First Peter 3, 1 through 2. Likewise, you wives, be submissive to your husbands, so that some, though they do not obey the word, may be one without a word by the behavior of their wives when they see your reverent and chaste behavior. Sorry, I went kind of off the rails there for a minute. Um, reverencing is recognizing um, that there's a, a this type of relationship between you and your husband, not this way. It's very popular nowadays to think of husbands and wives as equals, and I think they call it complementarians, where they just have different jobs. But the scriptures and all of uh, human history up until the Enlightenment, which you have to question whether or not it was really enlightening, mm -hmm. um, had uh, <clears throat> authorities and uh, submissive parties all the way from, from God to Christ to the angelic beings to man, woman, or I should say husband, wife, and children, um, and animals. There are also, also animals below 
the children. Um, and I say husbands and wives, not man and woman, because I think it is perfectly legitimate for women to be in authoritative positions over men if it's not in the church, if it's not a church thing. Like in my home here, I have authority over the young men who live here. They, If they're doing something I don't want them to do, I can tell them to stop, and they better stop. But um, I also don't think it's wise to, as a woman, yeah, get into that sort of, um, I've got power over you, because it's, it's a little difficult for men to take that sort of thing. You've got to be wise in how you work that power. Anyway, that's a little off the, off the track here, too. But um, So we're, we're to be submissive to our husbands. And that is, in this verse, talking about how even if you have a non-Christian husband, i.e., though they do not obey, even some who do not obey the word, may be one, may be one over to Christ, by the behavior of their wives when they see your reverent and chaste behavior. So Peter is saying some non-Christian husbands might even become Christians if their wives are this wonderful example of reverence and chaste chastity. Now, uh, let's talk about what reverence is. It's not being a um, pious Christian woman who runs off to Bible study and church all the time. It's not that she reverences God, but what impresses a husband is when a wife reverences him. And when you reverence your husband, um, you are completely out of, uh, out of the ordinary woman, especially in our culture, where we're told to demand our rights and make sure we get equal, um, equal this and equal that. Um, any woman who has a non-Christian husband and she reverences him, he's going to think, wow, this, is, this woman is certainly a prize. She treats me so wonderfully. The chaste part um, has to do with being uh, vow-appropriate. And by that, what I, what I mean or what I think chasteness, chastity is, is not withholding um, sexuality from your husband. That's obviously not what he wants, and that's not going to impress him one bit. But it's, it's basically not giving it out to anyone but your husband. He vowed when uh, you got married to love you and take care of you and whatever all your vows were. So it's appropriate for you, having vowed to him and him having vowed to you, to have a sexual relationship with him. And that is chaste. Um, going back up to reverence, I skipped this quote by C.S. Lewis, which says, obedience is an erotic necessity. Okay, now since this is all about the sexual the talk and the sexual relationship, um, this is something that Evan and I have been talking about for a couple even more than a couple of years, probably five years. It's that um, comes from a book that Lewis wrote. Maybe many of you have read it, but it's that hideous strength, which is the third book in his his space trilogy. But it's about a a young woman who's unhappy in her marriage and doesn't like having sex with her husband. Although every once in a while, when it happens, she enjoys it. Then she feels so. <coughs> mad that he got her to that position where she actually was being dominated by him and she actually enjoyed it. Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
what in the course of conversations between Jane and uh, Ransom, he says obedience is an erotic necessity, which is basically saying, Jane, if you won't humble yourself, submit yourself to your husband, you're not going to have any desire for him. If you think of yourself as his equal, it, that is not going to come. That uh, when you recognize the place where God has put you, it helps the erotic desire to develop in you. Um, and I will just testify from my, my own experience. Um, I think I was always a wife who was ready to um, have relations with my husband when he wanted them, or at least, you know, keeping in mind how many times a week it's been. Or, but I had many years when I didn't have very much desire, and it was really hard to work up the desire. And I, I know that in that time, I had let my whole idea of being a submissive wife and being, having my husband be my lord, um, which the word husband actually is the word lord, um, that it, it really put our, our sexual relationship out of whack um, to the point where it had dropped off to maybe once a week, um, which again on the charts for across the board of all different ages, once a week is, is pretty much the way it is for lots of marriages. And if you asked most men, how many times would you like to have sex? A week with your wife. Uh, now, if if you haven't destroyed something about your relationship where he doesn't want to have sex with you at all because you're you're absolutely a um, uh, I'm gonna say it a bitch, uh, <laughs> no fun to be with, then he's probably not gonna want to have sex with you at all. But given the way it was, maybe when you first got married, if he if you asked him, he would say twice a day, probably <laughs> twice a day. Uh, so when it gets down to marriages, you know, being in the once a week department, it's a sad, sad state. It's not, um, it's not enjoying that gift that God gave us in um, sexuality and in joining together. So I'm really going long on this because I'm kind of having a good time talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Leslie? Yes. I heard a Christian sexologist one time on a radio, Christian radio show driving back from somewhere one time, and he said that statistics show that women who have, well, first of all, Protestant marriages have the highest rate of sex, and second of all, if you have two sexual encounters a week, it actually lowers your chances of breast cancer. Like, if a woman has, you know, the male orgasm <laughs> inside her twice a week, then oh, it's shown to so decrease your. It's like I don't know if it's stress relief or, or if it's the actual, uh-huh. you know, fluid. So just a little. It's it's a correlation. Yeah, it's yeah. a correlation. It's um, hormonal response. It's hormonal. Response. Oh, uh-huh. your hormonal response. Okay. Interesting. So God's so creation it's good for us. Yeah, <laughs> but and but you don't want to do it just because it's good for you. <laughs> it's kind of like taking your medicine. <laughs> you want to you want to develop an attitude in you that desires your husband. Um, there's a, a wonderful quote, and I don't have it memorized. It's on the wall in the kitchen, 
um, go read it. It's the quote of mystery from the book, That Hideous Strength. Um, but it talks about how you viewing your own beauty is what makes you excited for giving yourself to your husband. And when I say beauty, I don't mean that you have to be a model. I don't mean that you have to be thin and shapely or busty or great legs or anything like that. I mean that you're a woman and women are beautiful to men because they have the part the man wants to be in. Okay? And if, if you think you're a hideous looking person but you still have that part, you can consider that that is so beautiful and that that is so desired by your husband um, that you can get yourself worked up um, sexually and in, aroused knowing that you have that to give to him. Um, so anyway, and I, I don't think anyone here is ugly, by the way. <laughs> you all have some beauty. Yes, Glenda. Uh, uh, a long time ago you and I were talking and you had, we had brought up this conversation. And I remember it. Yeah, and one of the things that I had read, and I'm, I don't know how many of you women have read the Song of Solomon, but it is an entire book of the Bible dedicated to the relationship between a husband and wife. And really, if you haven't taken the time, reread it. It's, it's hot. It is. It's hot. Yes, it is. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And then, if you take it one step further and realize that, that God wants us to look at this as the relationship between Christ and the church, it's even more phenomenal, at least mm -hmm. to me. I, I still yeah. kind of look back and I'm just like, whoa. So, yeah. anyway. Yeah. Thank you, Glenda. I, I do remember that yeah. talk that was out at your property. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where was I? Um, I wrote a little note in here that says, if you don't like this, pick a different religion. <laughs> <laughs> Submission to husbands had to be taught in biblical times, i.e. it wasn't cultural. If, if it was cultural, there, it wouldn't even be in there. Because everyone would obviously have gone, what do you mean? Why are you even writing that? We all know that. It was, it, it was written in there because they didn't naturally do it. Um, so the, the argument today is that Paul wrote that because that was his culture and he was just trying to keep the women down, you know, because the culture wanted to keep women down. I say no. Our culture is telling you something completely different. And if you want to say anything is cultural, it's our culture. And our culture is wrong about it. Mm -hmm. um, and our culture is producing a lot of unhappy marriages and a lot of divorces. Um, so don't, don't succumb to that excuse. Your struggle, if you have a struggle with this, it goes back to the authorities you picked to shape your mind. And they make you argue with reality and reason and God. So you have to go back to the beginning of... Uh, the light in you, the salvation, and who are you submitted to? Are you submitted to God? If so, look at what he has to say about this and get your, get your heart in line with that. The little box on the side there in the notes of thought, when marriages are considered equalities, the woman is actually in charge. 
Her decisions cannot be challenged. And his, lest he think he's in charge, must be. Mm. All right? So it, it really ends up being the reverse when you try to be equals. Um, you get to be a little totalitarian, and you won't allow him to be that. So on to um, dealing with temptation. Because of the temp that part of the um, marrying, part of the reason for marrying is to deal with the temptation. And it says in 1 Corinthians 7, 2, because of the temptation to immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So we're encouraged by the scriptures that if we have sexual desires, get married. And that, that's also just even a, a testimony to the fact that most marriages over most of history have not been based on romance. They've been based on uh, needing to keep the uh, Human race. the race going. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and um, just the, the economy of, of life, having women take care of the home, having men work, and, and that the, the sexual relationship was not based on, oh my gosh, so wonderful, oh, oh, and him thinking that you're just so wonderful. I mean, there was some of that in the Bible. We have Jacob and Rachel and um, different different couples, David and Bathsheba, which wasn't a marriage until uh, the sin had occurred. But um, there, so there's there's obviously been attractions, but most marriages were not based on that. We're in some way lucky that we get to consider that in our marriages, but in some way not, because in, in some way we think that if we start losing that romance, then that gives us free reign to either get out of our marriage or um, not have sex anymore or treat him badly in some other way. Um, I say no. So marriage is to deal with temptation. Marriage also, and, and sex in your marriage, is dealing with the debt that you owe him and the debt he owes you, the husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not rule over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not rule over his own body, but the wife does. Do not refuse one another, except perhaps if you don't want to get pregnant. Oh, wait, no. Uh, except perhaps if you're going to live in separate states because economically you can make more money if you live apart and you just get together on the weekends. No, actually the only reason to not be apart, or excuse me, to not be together, the only reason to be apart by agreement for a season is so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again lest Satan tempt you through lack of self-control. Lots of times people don't have sex because of, for all the wrong reasons. And really the only reason is for prayer is to devote yourself to prayer for for something particular probably um, yeah, just a little a little note to self there um, so the key point about marrying the central reason to marry is and it's more important than you having someone pay your bills is this if they cannot exercise self-control they should marry for it is better to marry than to be aflame with passion. So really the whole thing about marrying is accomplishing that desire and, and um, having the sex so you don't, you're not t 
tempted to be immoral all over the place, which is what our country, or what our, I should say, civilization, although it's probably always been out there, otherwise they wouldn't have... We always think that somehow our, our society has gotten so bad. There have been many uh, cultures and societies over, his, over the period, periods of history that have been way more uh, promiscuous and um, sexually immoral than ours, although we're, we're high. We're up there. <laughs> Barriers to marrying. Okay. Seduction. You, you, can, you might wonder, why is seduction a barrier? Well, it's the idea that I can't have sex unless I'm seduced. He has to come after me and say all the right things and you know, make sure that he's massaging all the right places, to pushing all my buttons so that I'll have sex with him. Well, no, you made a vow. You need to pay your vow. Your vow was to um, marry this man, which is, which is having sex, and to provide the things that... Uh, a woman should provide in the marriage. Um, Vows are things we promise before God, so why should the man have to seduce you? Now, I'm not saying he should never. He, he might enjoy that, but if, if, the, uh, if the moment isn't suddenly making you all desirous, but he's wanting, wanting you, you need to get your head in the right place and go for it. Um, wives need to be self-seduced, able to get themselves in that, that place, serving the husband's desire. What percentage of his uh, sexual desire do you meet? And, since we should do unto others as we would be done by, would you grant him that percentage off? Like, if, if you're not meeting 50% um, of his desire, maybe he wants sex... Um, once a week, or excuse me, once a day, and you only do it four times a week. But would you grant him 50% of his responsibilities in the marriage off? Um, because you're getting 50% off? <laughs> Make sense? Um, does he have to, can he just hang on to a certain amount of the paycheck and never let you touch it because he's going to buy his, his <laughs> toys or um, he doesn't have to love you? He doesn't have to be, um, what is it that the husbands are told to do? Uh, honor. Honor the woman as the weaker vessel. He doesn't have to be honorable to you as the weaker vessel. Just think about it in that way. Um, another barrier to uh, having sex, to marrying, is Victorian ideas that have pervaded the church um, and you get them into your head that sex is icky. It's this penetration, it's nakedness, it's bodily fluids mixing, it's arousal and orgasm. It's also, uh, you know, how can I let myself get involved in that? It's <laughs> got to be seduced if I'm going to get to that place. But um, that's, those are all actually wonderful things. Um, People think there's an ick factor to it, and there is. Like if you're a little kid and somebody tells you about that, you go, ew. But w once you've uh, decided that sex is good and that sex was created by God and that marriage is the place to have it and you're in a marriage, um, that ick factor needs to go away, but it shouldn't be because you got seduced. Because otherwise, 
you could get seduced by the wrong person and the the barrier to have sex with, with somebody you ought not will go away. So seduction, although it has a wonderful place, um, it also has a really negative, negative uh, uh, a danger to it. Uh, you don't want to find yourself in a place where you're being seduced by someone not your husband. Um, Gnosticism is, was a, uh, a philosophy that uh, was ancient. Uh, it was quite, quite a bit around in Jesus' time. But it was the idea that the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. Um, now this is, it's not true. It's not true, but it was, it was passed down and kind of pervaded into the church um, all the way through Pope John Paul II. And even so as to say that lust within marriage is sin. And uh, there's nothing in the scripture that says lust in marriage is sin. If you're lusting for your husband, man, you're in a great place. And he's probably lusting for you, at least sometimes. The, the word lust just means desire. But because it's been equated with um, a sinful desire, people kind of get a little scared about, you know, thinking of lust um, when they think of wanting their husband. But I encourage you to get to that place where you can lust after your husband. So, yeah, that's how you get the Gnosticism, that spiritual things are good and bodily things are bad. Nope, that's wrong. So, um, in the Victorian things, the thoughts about, um, it's not Victorian elements, it's elements in our thoughts. In the uh, addressing the ideas of the ick factor of penetration, nakedness, bodily fluids, the positive things are that these are really the grounds of your union. If, if you're not naked and clinging, there's not as much union. Um, and again, it's the mixing of the bodily fluids that is part again of, of reunion and um, the, the orgasm and clinging is just the most wonderful sense of, you, mean, you also almost feel like you're part of that other person at that point. Um, it's the ground of the union and again there's that Genesis scripture again, therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife they become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked, and were not ashamed. So getting past, if you have any shame about being naked, if, especially if you have body issues where you, you know, our society really um, puts forth a certain body image as being, this is the beautiful, and anything else is, well, it's just less than beautiful. Um, you got to get past that because all a man wants is your naked body. He wants to to feel it, and um, it's a woman's body, and it doesn't matter that it's not perfect. Um, I remember listening to Dr. Laura for many years, and she was really big on encouraging women to make sure they're having sex with their husbands, and she was all about not worrying about your body, that he doesn't care. He just wants you. So, get back to this picture of Christ and the church. And you get asked the question, are you ashamed? Does that embarrass you that, that 
picture of Christ in the church is you and your husband having sex. Because um, you really should be reveling in the fact that it's a heavenly pleasure and it's a metaphor of that relationship. Romanticism, again, we talked about how most marriages for most of history were not based on romance. Um, often marriages of convenience or arranged. Um, but romanticism says, well, sex is all about being in love, and so you have to convince me that you love me if you want me to have sex, or make me make me so in love with you so that I'll have sex. Um, and that's just a real uh, bad barrier to put up. Christian books try to remedy that marital lack by reinvigorating the romantic. It's the uh, strike the original match, you know, put the spark back in your marriage. Um, and that's not a bad thing to be attracted to your husband. Uh, but if it's not there, um, you don't want to. You don't want to have that be what you've got to have in order to fulfill your vow. Um, Marriage wasn't always based on romantic love, but in spite of the circumstance, God expects us to do and not refuse our husbands. Um, and then the last thing, again, I addressed it at the very beginning. If, if you are not orgasmic, it's, it's not as much of a draw for you other than the, maybe the cuddling and closeness of sex. But until, until a woman has an orgasm, then she's not going to have as, not going to be as easily drawn to um, having sex. And I'll, I'll say, even when I went through all those years of not really caring that much about it, I can remember Evan saying, but don't you want to have an orgasm? I go, yeah, I mean, I like them, but I just, I don't need it. <laughs> and it's just amazing how, how your attitude can change from yeah, I, I like it, but I don't need it to, wow, I, I really want this. Let's do that again. Let's, let's go. <laughs> I want this a lot. <laughs> um, it's really all about where your heart is, where your mind is. Um, oh, yeah. Other enjoyed things you would accept with alacrity. And alacrity, I, I had to look that one up, but it's, readiness and uh, kind of excitement and um, so if somebody said hey uh, they're giving dollar scoops at uh, Baskin Robbins hey let's go you know Baskin Robbins ice cream yeah just a dollar <coughs> well how about sex with your husband have an orgasm <laughs> <laughs> are there any hidden issues or reasons that are privately held animosities that keep you from wanting that. Um, those are things you have to ask yourself. And this is an area where um, I, I think because it's so pervasive in our society for um, women to get to that point where they're not that interested and they figure out all kinds of ways to not have sex. It's the old headache. I have a headache. Um, it's you want to figure out how to not be like the typical marriage. You want to be one of those marriages that is happy to let people know, yep, every night, seven times, seven times a week. There, there was a time when I had my little, um, 
what you call it, reawakening. I called it my epiphany about two and a half years ago. And when it first hit, and it was really all because my thoughts suddenly came into line with what, what was right. And it was, there were several things that conspired together to bring me to that point. But I suddenly, I want sex all the time. And it was, it was amazing. Um, then reality, the realities of life had to curb that. <laughs> and uh, even just the realities of, of the life we have here, the ministry, um, that's probably largely why we're three to four times a week rather than every night. But um, I, I don't want to put pressure on anyone to feel like it's got to be every night, but, you know, get with your husband and talk it over and figure out how, if, if you want to be that, figure out how. How can I make that work in my life with my husband? Um, what does he want? And let's figure this out. I'm open for questions. I just have a guy that commented. Um, can we turn the tape off? You bet. <laughs> <laughs>